Yeah, there we go. Oh, well. I didn't get that bit. Never mind. Okay. Uh, preach a word this morning to you. Open up God's word and uh, share with you a scripture that should encourage you. Um, I think it's awful if you go to church and someone tells you off. That's not very pleasant, not very nice. You don't go to church for that. You go to church to be encouraged and to be blessed and to be inspired to keep moving forward in this life. There's a verse, one verse I want to start with. It's found in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. It's a very challenging verse of Scripture. In fact, when you first read it, it sounds impossible. You have to read it again to make sure you read it right. It says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as, dear, uh, as, as, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You go, really? Really? Is that what God expects? He expects us to imitate God? Really? To live a life of love just like Jesus? Come on. No, surely not. And to offer up our lives as a sacrifice to God. It's too much, isn't it? The challenge is too much for us. Is it possible? Can we do it? If it wasn't there, we would think no. But it is there. So we can. We can live a life where we imitate God. We operate with the love of Jesus Christ and we can give ourselves as a sacrifice to him. One of the secrets of living this way is, uh, I can explain it to you from this passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read the first seven verses. It says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of, those, out of the most severe trials, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in a rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in your faith and in your speech, in your knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for him, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. There was one word that was repeated three times in that very short paragraph. It was the word grace. Grace. As Paul was praying, he prayed about the grace of God coming into their lives. So I want to, for a short while, just to talk to you about this thing called grace. What is the grace of God? Paul, when he's writing this, he says this. He says, I want you to know about this grace. 
I'll quote it from verse 1. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This grace then is from God. The second thing he says, they want this thing grace to be complete in them. So we can grow up in this grace. It becomes more and more in our lives. And it says they want us to, in verse 7, excel in this grace. See it that you excel in the grace. So there's a part that we have to play. It isn't just that God does something to us and it all works out. God does something, but we have to cooperate with him for his grace to be operating in our lives. Three points as well added to that. It says the grace that God has given so what I'm going to be talking about this morning to help you live this, this impossible Christian life is that God is giving you the grace to be able to do it. It comes from him, of course. To live like him, he's got to do something very special in our lives so we can do this. He talks about where to grow up in grace. To, it's to be completed in us. And as I said, we're to have our part to play. See to it that you also excel. The responsibility is placed on each one of our shoulders to grow in this grace of God. At the end of the paragraph, Paul is talking about the church, this Corinthian church, and he says they are excelling in lots of other graces. It's as though the grace of God has come and uh, worked upon them and the virtues of God are being borne out in their life. He talks about the grace of faith. So this, this church in Corinth they had great faith. They could have faith in God. It was something that God ministered to them and they were able to walk in faith. It talks about their speech. They had the grace of God upon their speech. The grace of God upon their knowledge, their complete earnestness and their love. So grace, this grace is important that it comes to us to enable us to live the Christian life. But he's picking them up here. Because he said, although you've got all these wonderful virtues worked upon by the grace of God, there is one you haven't got. The grace of giving. Or the grace of generosity. So it appears that we can be very loving, but not generous. It appears that we can have faith, but not be generous. Interesting. So God has to work on each virtue in our lives so we reflect him and his life. What is this grace then that I'm talking about? What is it? Can you define it? Can you give it a, a definition? Just not keep using the word. It is the divine influence which operates in our lives to inspire the virtuous life and to impart the strength to carry it out. You cannot live the Christian life. You cannot do this unless God ministers his grace, his strength, his power in you so you can live this virtuous life. So it appears to live this Christian life, God has to do something. He has to influence us. And we have a part to play. 
we have to learn and understand from his word and then put it into practice in our lives. God plays his part, we play ours. I say we learn and practice it because in the end he says, I'm going to send my servant Titus to you because he started to tell you about this grace, but he obviously didn't finish the job. I'm going to send him to you again so he can teach you some more and live out this life before you. He can finish ministering to you this wonderful life of grace, of generosity. As I say, it appears that they had many virtues in the Corinthian church, but not this virtue of generosity, this virtue of being a giver and not a getter. See, we come into this world mostly as getters, don't we? We're getters. We want as best as we can get for ourselves and our family. But when we come to the Lord, we realize that God and his son were not getters. They were givers. But to become a giver and not a getter, it takes the grace of God to operate in our lives. Apparently, the Macedonian church had received this grace, the ability to be generous with everything they had. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, the grace of being generous, the grace of being a giver. This is how Paul goes to describe the change that this grace can make in their lives. It says, even though the Macedonian church was experiencing, it talks, it lists it here, they were experiencing severe trials. I, it doesn't go on to say what the trials were, but they sound miserable because they were severe. And we're talking about Christians. They were experiencing some sort of severe trial, and they were also ex experiencing extreme poverty. So it was pretty dire for the Christians there in Macedonia. But they weren't expressing that. It says they were expressing overflowing joy and rich generosity. How's that possible? How can you live with severe trials and extreme poverty and at the same time express overflowing joy and rich generosity? How can you do that? It's not natural. It needs something from God. It needs something that God does in us and through us to change us. We call this the grace of God. His grace is available to every believer. We see it here that it's available. We ask him for it and by faith we receive it. And we see a transformation in our heart from severe trials and extreme poverty. One would experience misery and meanness. But that's not what happened. What happened was an overflow in joy and a rich generosity. I don't know quite how you, um, how you show rich generosity when you're in extreme poverty. It takes some working out, doesn't it? But if you give, if you give all that you have, that's rich generosity. Jesus tells a story about a widow, remember, who came to put her money into the treasury. 
He says to his disciples, come, let's have a look what these people do with their money. And of course, up comes the rich guys and they, they're just full of it. They dress, you know, and they've got this money. And it says, they threw their money into the treasury. Just this outward act. See what I'm doing. Look how generous I am. Then we get this widow. It says she had two tiny coins. Just hardly anything at all. And she comes. Does she go like this? No, no. It says, and it says it three times in that little story. She puts it in. She puts the money in. And it says, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. This woman has given more than all the others who were put into the treasury. And he go, come on, I tell you the truth, then he tells us a lie. She obviously didn't put more in, she put in two little coins. One man put in hundreds of times more than her. Maybe because God doesn't look at what we give, but what we hold back. Yes? God looks at what we hold back for ourselves. This woman held back nothing. She gave all, so God said she has given more than all the others. It's unnatural for people going through such hardship to act in this way. It's difficult. It's hard. I look around us and I wonder, are there many rich people here? Uh, probably not. The kingdom of God is made up mostly of poor people, not rich people. I know that as a fact. It is. That's just the way it is. It's unnatural to be overflowing in joy and to give richly to the Lord when we have nothing. This can only be by the grace of God. It's only by His grace. This grace, then, is the power of God in our lives to live like God, to be an imitator of Him. This grace causes us to act like Jesus Christ himself acted when he was on the earth. God, you know, can't do any more for you than he's already done. Do you understand that? Sometimes we're asking God to do stuff for us when he's done everything he possibly can do to help us. Let me explain. When you came to God because he showed you the reality of Jesus Christ the Saviour you received Christ as your Saviour you needed a Saviour and he was your Saviour and so as you put faith in Jesus Christ it said that God washed all your sin away and received you just as you were and then sent the Holy Spirit to come and live on the inside of you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He has declared you righteous for now, today, and forever. That is what God has done to you. He attributes righteousness to you. When this Spirit comes into our lives, He brings with Him the values of Christ. So it isn't just, oh, my sins are forgiven, I'm going to heaven. No, he brings with him 
the virtues of Christ. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. You know what that is. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. With these values now that are in your heart, in your life, you can always respond appropriately to every situation because Christ lives inside you by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just the fact that he saved you and made a way for you in heaven. He's entered into you to enable you to respond always appropriately in the way that Christ did. And in addition to that, God says, my grace is available to you. What else can he do to help you? He's given you salvation. He's put the Holy Spirit within your heart. He's written a new set of values in your heart, the values of Christ. And he says, if you ever get in a place where you can't cope, just call on me and the grace of God will come upon you and enable you to live this way. What else can God do? He's got to, live, he's got to leave something up to you to do, to believe, to walk, to trust, to pray, to respond positively to everything that he has done. God's not against us. He's for us. He's not trying to catch us out. He's equipping us so we can live like Jesus Christ in the earth. Of course, he is our standard. He is the one that we're like. And in addition... When we go through trials or disappointments or difficulties, he knows exactly what he's allowing us to go through. Things that we can cope with, and he'll be with us all the way through them. You will have difficulties in this life, without, without a doubt. But God has promised to be with us, and his grace can meet us every step of the way. God's a giver. We know this from the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved that he gave the most precious thing that he had, which was his son, Jesus Christ. Paul has said for Rochelle and Ken David, David Ken, <laughs> he said, listen, what God wants you to do is give God the most precious thing in your life. Can you think of anything more precious than this little one? No. There is nothing. So God says, listen, I gave you my most precious thing. Will you dare give your most precious thing to me? Jesus went back to the Father. You have the little one. He's yours. But he is the most precious thing. You've done a fantastic thing today in offering God your child the most precious thing to you. So God the Father was a giver, but the Son was a giver too. It says in Mark 10, For the Son of Man, he did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, that was the most precious thing. He couldn't give any more than his life. So the Father is a giver, and the Son is a giver as well. The Macedonians had received something of the grace of God that enable them to be givers. Not getters, 
they were givers. They practiced it in their life. It says they gave first to God and they gave first to them, and then to their brothers and sisters and then to give the material things was no problem at all. Having given yourself to God, to give God everything else is no real problem at all. As they are collecting up some money to give to the poor, these poor people come, these Macedonians who've got this grace of giving, and they're just giving everything, every penny they have. So as Paul looks at it, he says, this is ridiculous. You can't give all this. You keep some of this. And it says they pleaded. They urgently pleaded with us, Paul says, for the privilege of sharing in the service of the saints. See how powerful God's grace was. Even when Paul said, no, keep, keep it, it's all right, we've got enough. You don't, no, they said, don't, don't, don't. We want to give it. We want the privilege of being able to share. What a work of grace in their lives <coughs> that God had done this. We read here that God had done several things in their hearts regarding the grace that he administered to them. It caused them to be very generous. It caused them to give more than they were able to give. It says it caused them to give themselves to the Lord, to give themselves to their brothers and sisters. It caused them to overflow with joy in the midst of severe trials. And it caused them to well up in rich generosity so they could meet the needs of others. You need the grace of God, you see. So when he says, I want you to imitate God, you're right in saying it's impossible. When he says, I want you to live love with the love of Jesus, you say, this is impossible. When he says, I want you to offer your life as a sacrifice for me, you say, no, this is impossible. And God says, I know it's impossible. That's why I've made my grace available to you. And if you just ask for my grace, I will be able to transform your life. And so you can flourish in the life that God has called you to. His law of generosity is written on our hearts. As we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's word, his grace automatically flows. It flows in our lives as we do what he's called us to do. God's grace is always available to each one of us every day of our lives. So call upon him and receive his grace to live in the way that he's called you to. Let's just pray now as we bring this to an end. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your for this wonderful life that you've given us. A life, Lord, where your grace is available to us. That we can walk in this world like Jesus Christ himself. We can imitate you, God. Lord, we realise in our own natural strength these things are impossible. But with you, Lord, we know that all things are possible. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this. We thank you that you've taken care of everything. You've made every provision for us. And Lord, we just bless you this morning. And we ask that you'll bless this word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.